Oh, good morning, everybody. What a wonderful worship service. You know, this is one of those moments in worship where I think, oh, I should just be quiet and let people rest in what they've already experienced and heard. Uh, wonderful uh, call to worship, you know, uh, led by Heidi and the invocation with such, you know, depth and meaning. Um, I could hear my own self singing uh, Joyful, Joyful. I hope you were singing at home. I think you do. Um, you know, the great thing about uh, worshiping from home, you don't have to worry about what the person in the pew next to you thinks about your voice. You can just let it rip. Um, and that great uh, children's message, I love that. You know, building a house, is, it, it, you know, your faith is growing. And just like a house, I mean, you, you, you finish building the house and you think you're done, but then, you know, you have to take the leaves out of the gutter and you have to uh, paint the porch because it gets mildewed and the faucet is leaking, so you got to fix that. So, you know, we're never, ever done. Even with Legos, even building a house, um, our faith is always, we're, we're always just, we're, we're a work in progress, like it says um, in our bulletin today. Uh, grace means giving ourselves and others permission to be works in progress, right? We're all just getting through life. And particularly Vanessa's, um, you know, wonderful, sensitive, uh, remarks about uh, teachers and uh, parents and school custodians and all the support staff, everybody who makes education possible, parents especially, and especially parents who are also teachers. Um, you are in our thoughts and prayers. So back at the beginning of the um, pandemic, uh, Vanessa preached a wonderful sermon on forbearance and how we, you know, have to really be patient with each other. And we have been, I think that's one of the reasons we've remained, remained strong in our fellowship at First Church in these uh, months in which we're learning all new ways about how we can be together and how much we really truly do uh, miss each other. Um, I've bumped into folks, you know, in casual encounters in town this past week and how everybody says how how much they appreciate the services online but how they miss being with each other and we're completely and utterly sensitive to that and feel it ourselves as well and they're very eager to gather together but uh just as committed to and eager to ensure the safety and wealth health of everybody the well-being of everybody so um as we figure this out um we're going to take it step by step uh, and learn together. Forbearance, of course, is uh, learning to um, essentially put up with mistakes, you know, li live with each other. Um, none of us are perfect. Um, and at the heart of forbearance, of course, is a um, the deep and abiding concept of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean uh, that the wrong is not acknowledged or that it never happened. Uh, you won't find the phrase forgive and forget in the Bible. It's not there. Uh, forgiveness is based on the open acknowledgement of the wrong that has been done, the suffering that's been imposed. Um, <clears throat> there's a perpetrator and there is a victim. And for any kind of forgiveness to be real, there must be an acknowledgement and then some kind of process of healing, some kind of accountability. Truth-telling and accountability are essential. And this lies at the heart of every religion uh, of the great world religions, the universal need um, for forgiveness. 
there's that great phrase um, that justice in the world is what love looks like in public. Right? Acknowledging what needs to be addressed, addressing it, and making things right. The book of Genesis, about half of the book, um, has to deal with the story of Joseph, the one of the 12 sons of sold into a slavery by his uh, brothers, um, the sons of Jacob, who would become named Israel in his struggle with God, and how the jealousy of Joseph's brothers moved them to um, sell him into slavery. They actually wanted, some of them wanted to kill him. They were so mad at him. They sold him into slavery, and there, of course, he rises through the ranks through a variety of circumstances to become essentially the prime minister under the pharaoh. And then in the time of great famine, how his brothers had come to Egypt, which due to the providential planning and uh, stewardship of Joseph had stored grain for seven years, knowing that a famine was coming. And the complicated and very deep story about the reconciliation uh, between Joseph and his brothers. But even now in this last chapter, the 50th chapter of Matthew, Jacob having died, the brothers returned to Joseph and are afraid to tell him that their father has died. Now, why are they afraid to tell uh, Joseph um, that their father has died? Uh, it's been suggested, I think it makes a lot of sense, that they are worried that because the father is now dead, the linchpin, the patriarch of the family is gone, uh, that they fear the heavy hand of Joseph may land upon them that he may have just been forbearing them while his father, was, their father was alive. But now that he's gone, maybe they will find that uh, his anger burns hot and they will suffer. So we're gonna look at the uh, story of the, near the, the, almost the closing, it is the last chapter, almost the closing verses of the book of Genesis, where they come uh, to Joseph again in Egypt and his response to them. And then we'll look at, um, from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18, has to do with forgiveness. Every week, and many of us every day, many of us several times every day, say the Lord's Prayer. The heart of the Lord's Prayer um, is the focus on God and God's purposes in the world, and that we are aligning ourselves with God to be those who will bring God's justice and peace, the, the kingdom or the reign of God into the world. That we want, we like the manner in the desert, we want enough so that everybody will have enough. We want just enough, have plenty, but not too much. And then to pray for forgiveness. But notice how the prayer says, forgive us our trespasses. Some of us grew up saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us or as we forgive our debtors. An interesting uh, formulation because it implies that the forgiveness that we experience is conditioned upon the forgiveness that we're willing to give. Forgive us to the extent that we forgive other people. Puts a very different orientation upon it. And this is really a prevailing idea in Matthew's gospel that God is ready to forgive, but that forgiveness entails a responsibility on our half, behalf um, to be people who are also ourselves, especially uh, as uh, followers of Jesus, um, to forgive. So we'll turn first to Genesis in the 50th chapter, 
and then uh, to chapter 18 in Matthew. Get settled here in my preaching chair. So funny to preach sitting down. <laughs> I'm still getting used to it. Okay. So, <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, realizing that their father, Jacob was dead. Joseph's brothers said, well, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph. You can, you can hear them calculating. What, what, what if he's still angry with us? They come up with a plan. So they approached Joseph and they say, your father gave us instruction before he died. He said, say to Joseph, I beg you, I, Jacob, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong that they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. They claim that Jacob's dying wish is that Joseph would forgive them. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept. They fell down upon him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. This is the great refrain throughout Scripture. When a moment, a salvific moment is about to occur, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the advent of the angel in the New Testament announcing the birth of Jesus. Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? said Joseph. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended or transformed it for good in order to pre preserve a numerous people, just as God is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And in this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. It's just such a deep and mysterious story. Families are mysterious, right? I mean, oh my word. Especially in these days, with so much, so many pressures on us, with the uh, pandemic and uh, being out of work, and um, how we're going to go to school. I mean, it's really hard to stay together as a family. And Joseph and his brothers—they—they've—they've they've experienced the crisis of the loss of the patriarch, the, the hub of the wheel, the head of the family has gone. So they're, they're trying to figure this out. And the wisdom of Joseph is to understand that. In the insight of Paul, from the letter to the Romans, God works for good for all those who love God. God somehow worked through the mendacity, the, the, the evil that his brothers intend for him, intended for him when they almost killed him and then instead sold him into slavery. And yet that came to be a means by which the nation of Egypt was saved and 
numerous peoples around the Mediterranean basin that did not starve during the terrible famine that befell them. And so there's this understanding that what's at work in our lives is not just the immediate circumstances of our daily living and the changing circumstances of our familial structures and our work lives and careers, uh, social changes, but deep, deep, deep uh, beneath that and throughout all of that is this abiding presence of God that's working together for good for us. And at the heart of that goodness is the ability to forgive, to move on, to not hold the sin, but to somehow transform the sin into a means of grace, a moment for reconciliation. Now, today in America, there's a lot of uh, conversation about the nature of justice, and particularly the criminal justice system in our nation. Um, it's hard to admit, but true, that we incarcerate uh, more people per capita than any other nation on the face of the planet. The land of the free and the home of the brave incarcerates more people per capita than any other nation on the face of the planet. Somehow or other, we've gotten into our heads that um, a system of retribution, a justice of retribution, a justice of punishment, is the way to go, and have uh, forgotten the basic orientation which undergirded the uh, system in our country for generations and upon generations until the last 50 years, of a system of restoration, of renewal, of penitence, a justice, a restorative justice, rather than a punitive justice system. So let's turn uh, to the Gospel of uh, Matthew uh, in the 18th chapter. Now last week, Vanessa preached a wonderful sermon on the nature of forgiveness um, as uh, it was addressed by Jesus in his teaching, and how if someone within the community of Christians um, had a complaint against one another, the way to deal with that was to go to the person who had offended you um, and to um, ask for some restoration in the relationship. And if that didn't work, then ask another person to come with you to try to do that. And then if that didn't work, then ask the whole community to consider the uh, needs um, and the, the injustice that had been done and what could be the means by which um, some kind of restoration, reconciliation, recompense um, could be made. And if that didn't happen, then the person would become like a, like a tax collector or a Gentile. That is to say, they go back to square one because they've got to start over again. Um, that naming the wrong and then addressing the wrong and coming to some kind of reconciliation is essential um, in our life together in faith. So Jesus said, <clears throat> whatever you bind in, on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, forgive on earth, will be forgiven in heaven. They're calling us to be people who forgive. Forgiveness laid at the heart of Jesus' message, right? Remember when the uh, people brought friends who were lame and they uh, couldn't get to Jesus? He was in the house and the doorway was crowded, so they climbed up on the roof. And they uh, removed the roof tiles and uh, the timbers and put their uh, friend on a, a hammock 
and lowered him down through the roof so that he could come to Jesus. And Jesus looked up and he saw the man on the ground who couldn't walk. And he said, uh, friend, um, you know, your sins are forgiven. And people were scandalized. Well, who, who are you to forgive? Only God can forgive, they said. He said, well, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your pallet and walk? Okay, I take up your pallet and walk. And the man did. Either way, Jesus, the whole point was forgiveness. To forgive not only the people you love, in a sense, that can be either the easiest or the hardest thing to do. We'll talk about that another time. But to also to forgive our enemies, to forgive those who have harmed you. Of course, that necessarily entails having been harmed. Forgiveness uh, without harm doesn't make any sense, of course. But to love your enemies, to pray for them, uh, to forgive them. Radical, difficult, seemingly impossible. So Peter came to Jesus after he told them this parable in verse 21. And Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Now, seven is a complete number in Hebrew literature. So seven means like completely, right? And uh, Jesus says, no, 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 not, not seven times. Seventy-seven times, or seventy times seven. The Greek's a little ambiguous. Not seven times, seventy-seven times, or seventy times seven, which is like, you know, a huge number, almost infinitely. And this rattles Peter's cage. I mean, Peter wants to economize forgiveness. But Peter doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want to economize forgiveness. God, Jesus, wants economy, the, the, the economy of grace, not the economy of scarcity. Peter wants to parcel out forgiveness in bits and pieces to make sure we don't run out. But like love, the more you forgive, the more forgiveness there is. The more love you give, the more love there is. You don't run out of forgiveness. You don't run out of love. They're abundant beyond abundant. They are grace upon grace. So then Jesus begins to tell them another parable. And in this parable, it's going to refer to units of money. Before we get into it, I want to review with you just a little bit the units of money that we're talking about. He will say a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. Okay? If you want to work for a day, you're a day laborer at the end of the day, the landowner would give you a denarius. It's a day's wage. So seven denarius would be a week's wages, or six denarius because you rest on one day. Okay. And then he talks about talents, and he talks about 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents okay, equals 60 million denarius. Sixty million denarius. Denarii. That is to say, more than a lifetime, lifetime's worth of wages. 
you'd have to work longer than you would live to make 10,000 talents as a day laborer like Jesus and his contemporaries. It's a ridiculous number. So 10,000 talents is like saying, eh, $6 billion. Okay, so when you hear the story, be reminded that what Jesus is portraying here is a ridiculous idea. He's speaking in hyperbole to make the point. The parable is not an, um, an extended allegory where each person equals humanity or another character in the story equals God. It's, it's, it's a story, it's a parable almost in which Jesus is saying to Peter, really? That's your question? Are you serious? It's a story that's told to expose the ridiculous nature of Peter's question. Seven times, 70 times seven, 77 times. It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, what's with you? So here's the parable. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one slave owned him 10,000 talents, 60 million days wages. When he began the reckoning and came up with the 10,000 talents, the slave was brought before the king. Now, one might ask, how could he accrue a talent, a, a debt of 60 million talents? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And because he could not pay, of course he couldn't. It's like $6 billion. He threw himself upon the Lord, who had ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and his children. And the slave fell upon his knees, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you back everything. Well, that's ridiculous, too. He can't pay it back. You can't live long enough to pay it back. And out of pity for him, the king released the slave. And what does he say? I'll put you on an extended repayment plan? No. He says, I forgive the debt. Ooh, I forgive the debt. I, the slate is clean. Your account is zero. Went from 10,000 talents to zero like that. So then the same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, that is to say about a hundred days wages, right? About three and a half months worth of work. And seizing his fellow slave by the throat, he said, pay me what you owe me. And the fellow slaves fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. But the first slave refused. He went out and he threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. That's a terrible old system, the debt is prison. Somebody had a debt, you threw him in prison. How's that gonna help? People live in debt prison now of a different kind. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went back and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. 
And the Lord summoned him and said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy upon your fellow slave as I had mercy upon you? And in his anger, the Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay the entire debt. So my heavenly father will do also to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. <laughs> you can sense Jesus' exasperation. He's not saying that God is going to send us into perdition because of our stiff-necked response. He is saying that in, in his frustration, that's what we would expect, but it's not how God responds. God understands our deep need for forgiveness, which entails necessarily naming the sin, coming to a sense of contrition for the wrong that we have done, a deep act of repentance and going, support provided for the victim. You know, so often this, this passage has been abused to support the continued abuse, almost usually, almost always of women by men, right? Each of us could recount, I think, from literature or entertainment, culture, or our own personal experience, how women abused by their domestic partners have gone for help to churches, religious communities, and been told to go home and to forgive. Because Jesus said, well, you know, you have to give 77 times or 70 times 7, which is 490 times. That's not what he means here at all. Think about what he says in the first part of 18, chapter 18. If you've been wronged, go and confront the abuser. If you don't get any satisfaction, go with another person. If you get no satisfaction, then go with the, the whole community and confront with facts the abuser. And if you get no satisfaction, then be done with the abuser. Jesus is not saying be a doormat. What he's talking about in an equal relationship of reciprocity and mutual respect when wrongs are done, then reconciliation is possible. Forgiveness entails necessarily the truth-telling and accountability of the perpetrator. But then once that is done, then forgiveness and restoration, reconciliation becomes possible. This lies at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Not to put up with abuse or to turn a blind eye or to accept things the way they are, but in fact to name the way things are and then to call for a redemptive process, a repentance, a reconciliation, a renewal, and a re-beginning in our relationships with each other. But it's not something that is one and done. It's not like building the Lego house and then it's finished. It's like building our actual houses. We're never done. We're never done with the practice of forgiven, forgiveness. Jesus' parable here interrupts and subverts Peter's sense of economy. He interrupts and subverts, subverts our sense of economy. 
and calls him to question the presuppositions of the status quo. Jesus stands on the side of the dispossessed, the least, the marginalized. And so forgiveness for those without power becomes the means by which their power is restored in that they can call one another to account, they can call their, their abuser, the one who has harmed them, to account, to defend themselves, to rebuild their lives, to restore their own sense of self and dignity and worth. Grace upon grace. Not counted out and uh, parceled out piece by piece as though it will always uh, disappear if we're too generous. But a real deep sense of the fact that we have been forgiven, that God loves me. <laughs> Listen, baby, if God can love me, God can love anybody. All right? I'm the biggest reprobate you've ever met. If God can love me, God does, God, God loves you too. Guess what? Not just an idea, it's a fact. Charlie Lomnitzer, oh dear Charlie, who died this week. Oh, our heart is broken. You'll hear more about this, but Charlie died on Monday this week. I've never known a man with a deeper sense of the presence and the love of God in his life than Charles Mack Lomnitzer. It wasn't an idea for Charlie, it was a lived reality. And it shaped who he was from the moment when he came to that realization, when he had the epiphany laying in a hospital bed, hovering between life and death, and came to know the love of God in his heart and mind and soul in a deep, truly transformative way. That's what we're talking about, having the same kind of spirit that marked the life and the legacy, the living legacy of Charlie Lomnitzer. Grace upon grace, grace beyond measure. Really, says Jesus, you want to measure it? You can't measure it. 70 times 7 times 7. Amen.